Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. (laughs) I'm glad that we have that on the recording. This is the Mary Jane Experience. I am Casey Jones alongside Strawberry Sequoia coming to you from beautiful Boulder, Colorado, where it was a million degrees this morning. Climate change is, I don't even know why it's a debate anymore. It was hotter than hell. But that's not the point. We are here today to talk about Dr. Michelle Ross. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk cannabis and women's health today. A neuroscientist. Um, who has since shifted into becoming a cannabis coach um, as a result of her treating some of her own ailments using cannabis and CBD. Well, you know, I want to chime in. Um, I've used cannabis um, medicinally for my fibromyalgia and other health conditions for a long time. So it's not like I'm an inexperienced user, um, but I haven't really ever developed a tolerance. Uh, She's been doing it for a decade, right? More than a decade, roughly about a decade. So Strawberry had uh, the pleasure again of talking with Miss Michelle Ross. And uh, we actually did a very interesting thing this time. We decided to put the questions out to the community and we got on Reddit and the rest of the social media platforms to see what people wanted to know from a neuroscientist cannabis coach. Strawberry, what did the community want to know? Talk to us. Yeah, so I put this out on a subreddit called Entwives, and it is one of my favorite Reddit communities for women in cannabis. And I specifically did that because Dr. Michelle Ross is very women-focused. So what did people want to know about? Um, of course, as every episode, we, we start with Dr. Michelle Ross's history and how she got into cannabis. Mm-hmm. But people had a lot of really great questions. So we're going to talk about PTSD and general health and wellness. We're going to talk about cannabis and breastfeeding and pregnancy. Ooh. Yeah, very controversial topic. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say taboo still. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about hormonal issues. We're going to talk about cannabis and arthritis. Ooh. Yeah. What else? ton of other things we go through, of course, her industry predictions as well, and cannabis as a general overall health supplement. Got it. So again, more kind of attuning to that idea of it's not a full-on, it is supplemental to a health practice kind of more towards that vitamin idea. Exactly. So let's just start with Dr. Michelle Ross's history. Sure. So I have a sort of interesting story because I started off as a cannabis scientist first who never used cannabis and then ended up needing it actually uh, for some severe health problems. Uh, And I sort of transitioned out of the lab in working with rats um, and petri dishes and brain cell cultures into actually working with human research um, and looking at how cannabis can help impact 
mental health, women's health, and a whole bunch of things. So to just back it up a little bit, I have a doctorate in neuroscience. So years ago, actually, my very first paper was on how cannabis and synthetic cannabinoids could actually grow or kill brain cells. And uh, we really found that cannabinoids can grow brain cells. So it was sort of exciting to be in a drug lab where I'm supposed to be studying um, all the bad drugs or drugs of abuse. And here we're starting to find out that some of the psychedelic drugs, including cannabis, were actually good for the brain. So this was so many years ago, 13 years ago. And of course, they made me study all the harmful drugs on the brain. So, you know, cocaine, uh, heroin, et cetera. I couldn't really show the government that cannabis was amazing. So um, I ended up teaching myself a lot about cannabis. I moved to California from Texas where I was doing the research. And I got to go for the first time into a state where cannabis was legal. It was legal um, for medical marijuana back at that time. And it was sort of interesting. I got to see this whole culture where people had basically grown up with cannabis being legal. People were using it. It wasn't such a big deal like it was in New Jersey where I'm from, where it was illegal and anyone that consumed cannabis had to be like a criminal or a gangster, according to my family at least. And I got to see really um, the industry, um, meet patients, and I ended up marrying into the cannabis industry. And it was sort of interesting that I was really pulled to take what I knew from the lab and start applying that science knowledge to helping patients and working with the industry. You know, six, seven years ago, there wasn't a lot of research in this space in the United States. There wasn't a lot of education in this space. When you were talking about using cannabis for women's health or Lyme's disease or autoimmune disorders, all these sort of niche type of disorders, and again, we know so much more about them now um, than we did six or seven years ago, but back in the day, um, we really under, sort of understood, say, CBD for seizures, right? That was what the big documentaries were, you know, going forward with. Or, you know, we use uh, cannabis for terminal cancer patients or HIV. But really, no one quite understood how to use cannabis or even these minor cannabinoids for some of these other conditions. And so, you know, that sparked a fire under me. I'm a scientist. I'm always learning. So when you hear about the potential of cannabis to treat so many things, yet no one really knew how to explain it or really how to practice it, I got really excited. And I got even more excited because I had to use cannabis as a patient myself. I ended up um, with nerve damage, fibromyalgia, a whole bunch of health issues. And for me, after a period of being on prescription drugs and I'm being horrible and weaning myself off them with cannabis and now only using cannabis for uh, my treatment, it really sort of showed to me that I could see patients getting better, but when you consume cannabis yourself and you realize it really is the solution to your health problems, it really makes you passionate for you know, not only treating patients, but doing education. I've done a lot of drug reform work, uh, working on legalization, both in California and across the United States. And so many things like there's been so many twists and turns in my career. I can't even believe it. You know, if you had asked me maybe 10, 15 years ago, if I would have been in the cannabis industry, I probably would have looked at you like you had, you know, three heads. One of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. And I'm so happy to be in this industry. Another one of those started in science. This, this reminds me of Fabrizio Pamplona, where he was partaking in clinical research for things like Alzheimer's, had people bringing CBD and THC oil to him, explaining it was the only thing helping their kids with seizures. Kind of the light switch flicks, click, 
he starts to get into cannabis research. Sounds like Dr. Michelle Ross here, same, similar kind of story. And interesting that she moved from Texas to California um, to kind of get into it deeper. So that's really cool. I love it. Yeah, well, it, it's great to come from a science background, and you do hear the typical story of never having used cannabis, but mm-hmm. as a scientist, being curious and wanting to use yourself as a research subject because the government won't let you research yeah. anybody else. <laughs> and it's funny what she said there, too. She, she said uh, she couldn't tell the government that weed was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, well, we're discovering it's good for you. It's, it's helping regrow. Um, brain cells, different cannabinoids are helping with this, but we couldn't say anything to the government. So she almost had to had to go rogue, renegade mindset, if you will, uh, to discover those. her own research and continue it. So yeah. big ups on that for sure. So we saw Dr. Michelle Ross, much like a lot of people that we talked to on this podcast, we saw yeah. at South by Southwest and made contact and got an interview We saw her at South by Southwest doing a talk about cannabis and wellness. And one of the things she really stressed was how stress and deep suppressed trauma are the root of all health issues Mm. and that cannabis can be a really great solution for that. So I wanted her to share that and expand on that for our listeners. So if you weren't at South by Southwest, here's what you missed. Sure. So a lot of chronic illness is due to chronic stress and also trauma. A lot of us are traumatized and we don't even realize it. Uh, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is something that happens to not just veterans. It can happen to uh, policemen, to ER doctors and nurses. It can happen to women that have been sexually assaulted. It can happen to so many of us. And there's also these micro Uh, traumas, right? Um, You know, instances where, uh, you know, you saw somebody get shot or somebody said something that was deeply racist and hurtful to you. Um, Some people go through these micro traumas, you know, not just like once in their life, but daily, especially if you are, you know, a marginalized member of society. And so I think that especially women are really holding on to not only trauma, Um, since they were born and as they grow up through life and navigate life, they're continually traumatized, but they're also carrying trauma from past generations, right? Our mothers didn't have it easy. Our grandmas didn't have it easy. Like you look at um, how women have been treated in society. We are definitely um, victims of trauma and we tend to store pain, um, you know, in different parts of our body, right? And so you're going to store that trauma in your hip, in your neck, you know, in your back. And if you don't deal with some of those emotional issues, you know, it doesn't matter how many opioids you use. It doesn't matter how much cannabis you smoke. You're never really going to get that pain out. And so it's really mindset work. um, Plus I think uh, cannabis that can help. And then there's, there's a reason why cannabis when used appropriately in, in a certain set and setting can really help with trauma. And this is, you know, part of the work that Sue Sicily does with veterans. So cannabis actually stimulates your cannabinoid receptors, which are found all over the body and brain, but there's a specific region called the hippocampus, which is the brain region I did most of my research work on. And that brain region is the region that's important for learning and memory. And so when you stimulate your cannabinoid receptors, you're actually 
uh, jump-starting this circuitry that helps you forget, not helps you learn, it helps you forget. Now think about trauma, think about PTSD. PTSD is actually characterized by people having nightmares, they're having too much you know, thoughts of, and reliving their trauma. So imagine if you could help somebody rewire their brain, help them be able to forget or at least focus less on that horrible thing that happened to them and let that go so that they can move forward. That would be how healing happens. And so if you can finally let go of that trauma, you might not hurt so badly anymore. And your, your total stress levels would also go down. Like a lot of us, again, are dealing with stress, but we're not even like conscious about it. It is like subconscious, but it, we're constantly battling that stress and, and holding that in our body. So I think that when cannabis is used with the proper mindset, that we can start to actually physiologically heal stress and trauma and also um, you know, physically heal pain. I think we have to do an entire episode on the cannabinoid system in the hippocampus. And we could pull from this episode because that's very interesting to think about treatment of PhD. PTSD? <laughs> treatment of a doctorate. No, treatment of PTSD. I wonder if P... I'm sure there's... Anyway. Um, yeah, treatment of PTSD as it relates specifically to memories and what the positive effects of cannabis may have on that region of the brain. So I just learned something because I didn't know that that was the connection, why people are always touting cannabis as a potential solution for PTSD. I always thought and assumed that it had more to do with the effects of alcohol, kind of like a release, like a relief mm -hmm. place. You can think, oh, I'll go smoke a joint. Maybe you'll be happier. But that's interesting to know that activating the endocannabinoid system in the hippocampus as it affects memory is really what quote unquote people are using as a treatment for PTSD. Yeah. Forgetting awesome. is actually a really healing thing to do. Yeah. And Michael Pollan talks about that in his book, the botany of desire, how important it is to be able to forget. Mm-hmm. You don't want to remember every single face you saw on the subway that morning. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to remember the bad things that happened to you, and cannabis can help you stimulate the receptors to forget, which is just so interesting. Yeah, and to create new and better memories, mm -hmm. perhaps as a replacement. So interesting. Very healing. And we all carry, I mean, I, I think it was interesting talking about micro traumas where, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you're not full on PTSD. But you might have micro trauma or just the stress that we all carry and cannabis being a way to help us and not fall into what is called endocannabinoid deficiency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which can really, you know, your endocannabinoid system is attached to so many different functions in your body. And when it's deficient, that's a problem. <laughs> And so I did want to go into that a little bit with Michelle and explain to people what endocannabinoid deficiency is and how it can be balanced. Absolutely. So endocannabinoid deficiency is really, it was a theory that was put out uh, by Dr. Ethan Russo several years ago. Um, and basically meant that your body has this endocannabinoid system. 
you make endogenous cannabinoids like anandamide, 2-HG, you have receptors like cannabinoid receptor CB1, CB2, you have these enzymes that make endocannabinoids, you have these enzymes that break them down, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So you might not have enough receptors, you might have too much of the protein that breaks down anandamide, for example. Like there's all these things that could go wrong in the system um, and basically make it so that you are not, not having enough of this endocannabinoid system signaling. And it's really easy to think about this in, in two ways. Um, one is when you compare, um, you know, I, it's funny, I wrote a book called Vitamin Weed and let's just pause here because I just messed this up. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Yeah. yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, no, it's okay. Um, so endocannabinoid deficiency can be treated by, of course, taking in more cannabinoids, right? So if you're not having enough cannabinoid system signaling, you can take some THC or CBD, uh, which will help stimulate those receptors and restore balance. Now, the reason why you want endocannabinoid system balance is because the endocannabinoid system is regulating every other neurotransmitter system in your body. So from serotonin, dopamine, glutamate, GABA, everything that, that regulates your sleep, your eating, your feelings, your thoughts, your movement, everything. So when you are out of balance in the endocannabinoid system, you're out of balance in everything. So really, um, when we're talking about cannabis actually being a treatment for so many different conditions, it's because, again, the endocannabinoid system regulates heart function, movement, you know, uh, memory, so many different things. So um, I wrote a book called Vitamin Weed, and it's sort of funny. I don't even like the term weed. Um, it's very colloquial, but it's, it's a term that people understand. So if you don't understand science, you don't even know what cannabis is, you, you know what weed is, though. Most people, um, you know, especially the older generation has heard of that term. So the reason why I use vitamin weed as a term is to help people well, sort of take the stigma off of it. So if we think about cannabis as a nutrient that we need to be taking every day to restore endocannabinoid deficiency, it makes it a lot less scary and makes it sound a lot less like a drug people are using to get high. And I compare it a lot to vitamin D. So vitamin D is actually a nutrient the government said, you know, we don't need any more of it. We don't need it to be taking vitamin D uh, pills. We get enough vitamin D in our diet. And then they actually did studies where they tested the blood levels of vitamin D in Americans and found out that they were getting way low levels of vitamin D and they actually did need supplementation. And this was important because vitamin D is actually really important for everything from your mood to how you, um, you know, burn fat, like so many different things, like over a hundred different things it's important for. And some people that are depressed, for example, just need a vitamin D prescription. They don't need Prozac. So here we have a very similar system where, you know, our government hasn't really taught us anything about the endocannabinoid system. It's not really taught in medical school, but yet there seems to be a simple solution to a lot of illnesses. And that is take some CBD or take some cannabis restore this endocannabinoid deficiency and you will start to feel better. So, you know, I don't care what kind of form it is. There's definitely optimal ways to use cannabis, but you know, when we're talking about wellness doses of say a CBD gummies or CBD tinctures or a little bit of microdoses of THC, really um, it's right for most people and it's going to help bring our body back into balance. I fucking love that. <laughs> like, let, allow me to explain. We 
you and I do at least, we not necessarily on this show, but in our daily day life, do talk about the problem with our healthcare system in the sense that it is very much reactionary healthcare. It is not proactive healthcare in any way, shape, or form in terms of preventative health measures that can be taken. The the thought process of somebody that might be slightly depressed and all they need is a little bit of vitamin D to maybe help with that is what I love about how people talk about cannabis as a supplemental thing. Because I know the pharmaceutical industry wants to grab a hold of it and make drugs out of it. And I know that Joe Biden wants to push that. I'm going to plug that because that's a horrible idea. Um, it should be left as a supplement. It, it should be left as, as recreational and health supportive with the potential to be health treating, right? As opposed to looking at it as, no, we got to make drugs out of this. No, we don't. Let's keep it as a supplement. Start there. Yeah. Love that. Exactly. Love that. I mean, your endocannabinoid <clears throat> system regulating so much of your body, even your mood yeah. To think that you can just add a couple extra cannabinoids into your system and cure whatever illness is bothering you or condition just sounds so much better than putting in a whole bunch of drugs that then have other effects. Like the endocannabinoid system's whole purpose is homeostasis. Yeah. It just wants to balance you. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to cure one thing or another it's like we want everything to work together to balance it's like the most troublesome part of chemotherapy is the fact that it kills everything Mm -hmm. right it's this very targeted very high power potent treatment that works to kill cancer but also works to kill everything else around so that idea of a supportive proactive supplemental thing to the system that is just trying to again reach homeostasis and balance you out love it that i think healthcare could become a lot better if we thought of it that way yeah well and we'll learn a lot more about the endocannabinoid system i think and the different cannabinoids that are good for different things and we'll go into that more in this episode of just how poor the research has been so far not necessarily poor but just how lacking it has been and one thing that research is almost impossible to do is on pregnant and breastfeeding women Mm. was a big question that came from reddit people want to know what you can use while pregnant or breastfeeding what the research is if it's okay so We went into that next. You know, it's so funny. Cannabis and pregnancy is such a touchy subject. And there's a couple reasons for this. One, uh, in clinical research, it's actually really hard to do research on pregnant women. Because when you don't know whether a substance will be harmful for a fetus, uh, you're not really supposed to do that study. So pregnant women are actually a class of uh, subject that are protected like there's certain people you know young children it's really hard to do studies for unless you know it's like an end of life scenario where they need, they are dying in cancer they need a certain drug cannabis was not quite understood about its impact on the brain but when we look at the research there's a couple 
full of things that are really interesting. So a lot of the research on cannabis and pregnancy was done before legalization. So uh, think about black market cannabis or gray market. I hate, I hate the term black market. So think about gray market cannabis. You're, you know, smoking some, you know, dirt weed uh, that hasn't been tested, um, you know, isn't quality cannabis and you're smoking it as a joint as a pregnant woman. Now there's several problems here. Um, you know, you're smoking first, you're not using tinctures or maybe some other cleaner forms. You don't really know what's in that cannabis. Um, and secondly, a lot of women that were smoking, um, cannabis joints before legalization might've also been drinking or doing other drugs or smoking cigarettes, for example. And and in fact, when we look at the old research, we found out that almost like 100% of the women that were smoking cannabis were also smoking cigarettes. So it was really hard to parse out the effects of cannabis or THC versus um, cigarettes and the various toxins that are associated with it. I actually did do some research on cannabis and brain cell growth. And it's sort of interesting because CBD will actually stimulate brain cell growth, but there's no real studies about CBD and pregnancy. Uh, there's no studies about just THC and tincture or edible form and not in smokable form and pregnancy. What we do know uh, is that there was one study in Jamaica where women were using cannabis and the primary form they were using it as pregnant women in Jamaica was in a cannabis tea. So they were getting a little bit of THC, but also a lot of THCA, which is the raw version of THC. It doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier and um, also relieves nausea very well, uh, relieves pain, relieves, you know, all those things that might uh, bother our pregnant women, right? You have a lot of nausea and vomiting, which is the number one reason people are using cannabis in the first place while they're pregnant. Well, what this study showed and what some other studies are now showing is that there's not really significant harms to brain development in children. And in fact, there's lots of children that have been born healthy to women that have used cannabis. And there's more anecdotal evidence for this than there is a published research. We do know that THC and CBD pass through um, the placenta. We know that it passes through breast milk. Um, so there is some exposure. However, uh, the children are actually being exposed to a little bit less CBD and THC than we would think. So we always have to be cognizant of, okay, the mother is going to be using cannabis or CBD, one, uh, don't use smokable forms. That way you can make sure that they're not going to be exposed to toxins like ammonia uh, that are produced when you smoke a substance. Um, one, can you take the lowest possible dose for whatever you're trying to do? If you're using cannabis for, say, nausea and vomiting, uh, which is, again, a very important reason for women to be doing this. If you don't get enough nutrition during pregnancy, your child could actually be very sick. Uh, you can have a very dangerous pregnancy just try to take the lowest amount possible. Um, there are actually a lot of studies now popping up, especially in California, because it is uh, legal uh, to all adults in the state. Um, and they're going to be looking at, at some of these things that I was just talking about. But right now, it's just sort of funny because there are so many questions from mothers um, and so many questions from practitioners, you know, okay, it's legal. Um, people are now feeling okay about talking about their cannabis use. It's not like cannabis legalization all of a sudden caused pregnant women to start using cannabis. I think it's that it started them be feeling okay to talk about it with their doctor because they weren't fearful that they might be going to jail or lose their child to uh, Child Protective Services or CPS. But right now, um, 
We don't know everything, but we do know that cannabis and CBD do not cause um, brain damage. They do not cause birth defects. And in fact, um, this is the number one fact I can tell you is that there was research on both THC and CBD for clinical trials uh, as Marinol and Epidiolex, and they did not find either of those substances caused any issues in pregnancy um, or you know, later child development. This is another one that I love going back to the thought process of supporting one's system as a whole as opposed to targeting a single thing that might have a potential side effect in the end. Because we always joke, what is the actual side effect of cannabis eating Cheetos? <laughs> like, sometimes, sometimes it suppresses my appetite. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes it really depends on the person, the yeah, strain, yeah. the terpenes, all that good go stuff. But point being as a pregnant woman, maybe don't smoke anything. Definitely makes, don't smoke. Makes sense. Um, unfortunately, and the point was made in the past, there was no access to things like tinctures and edibles, products of the like. So women were just smoking weed, right? That potentially just the act of smoking anything is really what's causing the problems, not necessarily what you're smoking or how you're smoking. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's what's interesting about the study done in Jamaica is they were using a tea. Yeah. And I'm always go. touting the raw form of cannabis. I wish that I grew enough so that I could juice it. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of health benefits there, and mm-hmm. you don't get as much of the THC Delta 9. You don't get like what's going to get you high. You get a lot more of the other ones, and yeah. it's beneficial in that way. So the study done with that on women in Jamaica didn't show any significant harms or anything that of note. Not yeah, No birth defects, no yeah. br- de- brain developmental issues. Because this is the thing. I remember my mom. My mom's a nurse, by the way. Um, I remember when I was in high school and she kind of found out that we were smoking weed and whatnot. I remember distinctly she would say things like, weed will stunt your growth. Or weed will, you know, ingesting a, a hallucinogenic product will, will stunt this. Or it will affect your brain development or whatever. Um, knowing that THC and CBD and THCA can be transferred through the placenta to the embryo and eventually the fetus and the baby. Not seeing any birth defects or brain defects as a result of CBD and THC being taken kind of disproves all that. And and given and that's another thing against my that mom. Was she was dealing with like, that yeah, wasn't she was dealing research. With bad information. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the point. There was no actual research to substantiate that. That's just what the government told everybody. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's cool because now we're disproving that. And it's exactly. cool to see. Well, another thing that's interesting is is going back to the stress as well. Yeah, yeah. Is a lot of women find themselves to be infertile, and the main reason for that is stress and anxiety. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked a little bit also about how the use of cannabis can help you get pregnant. Well, you know, my favorite, um, you know, thing to explore that I haven't seen any studies looking at yet is actually infertility. And so thinking about anxiety um, and stress being a real reason why it's hard for women uh, and men to get pregnant, right? So if either partner is consuming cannabis or CBD and they're relieving a little bit of stress, you know, they might actually 
actually be able to conceive and not have to go through IVF and some of these other, um, you know, uh, in vitro um, fertilization um, or, you know, more expensive types of procedures. So it's just sort of interesting. It's like, we still don't even know. People always ask, okay, what is cannabis or CBD do to sperm and eggs and, you know, um, fetal development. But I think that CBD would probably be a lot safer than cannabis to use if you're trying to get pregnant. But, um, you know, we just don't have all the facts. It's the marriage and experience here with Strawberry Sequoia. We just heard Dr. Michelle Ross talking about stress and its potential in Impact on infertility and how cannabis might help that doesn't sound like there's very many studies out there but it's a fair suspicion given what we do know yeah and lots of anecdotal evidence as well yeah so I wonder because sometimes you can have a challenging high if too much weed is a problem in in this very specific instance talking about stress I, mean, I feel like sometimes weed stresses if me you're doing that every day yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, who's going to get like way too high every single day? I mean, to the point where it's stressing them out. That's... Yeah, that's a good point. You, you just, you'd stop eventually. Yeah, that would be So again, dumb. real side effects, like 24 hours of maybe binge watching some Netflix. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, keeping it with the Reddit questions and still along the very female lines, people want to know... How does cannabis interact with hormones like estrogen and progesterone? And can it help alleviate things like PMS or PMDD? Um, This is actually one of my favorite things to talk about. So women are so much more interesting than men when it comes down to, uh, you know, our hormones, we're always cycling with our estrogen and progesterone levels. And we're also cycling with our endocannabinoid level. So it's sort of interesting when we feel um, those symptoms of say uh, PMS, you know, we're feeling irritable, we're feeling achy, we might start to feel those cramps and things like that. That's actually when our endocannabinoid system is at its lowest. So our anandamide levels are low. When our estrogen levels are high, uh, we have high anandamide levels. So it's sort of very interesting. And, and when we were talking about using cannabis or CBD to actually help boost our endocannabinoid system, I think it's so important that women use cannabis, you know, as soon as they start feeling any of those symptoms. And we all know, right? Like we all know when our period is coming, like, um, and we know how to restore that. But, you know, almost 80% of women have some sort of pain associated with their cycle. Uh, one in 10 women have endometriosis, which is a very, very significant um, pain disorder associated with reproductive health. We know that cannabis can help these different diseases or conditions. Um, I want to say that our menstrual cycle is conditioned, but PMDD, um, I just want to touch on. Um, so that's actually um, a considered a mental disorder that is sort of depression associated with those changes in hormones around your cycle. And it's actually something that I suffered from. And I was put on hormonal birth control for years to help try to balance that out. Um, And it turns out that cannabis is actually very, very helpful for reducing any type of depression or anxiety that happens when your hormone levels drop. And I really do think that cannabis can almost act like a bioidentical hormone. And so we 
we'll touch on this maybe a little bit like talking about menopause, but THC can act a lot like progesterone. It can act like estrogen. It can almost act like hormonal replacement therapy or HRT. So when we're dipping in our estrogen levels or progesterone and we feel like crap, you know, if you take cannabis, it's going to help stimulate some of the same systems. And it's interesting too, because the cannabinoid receptors are actually, there's a lot going on. So the cannabinoid receptors can actually interact with estrogen receptors too. So there's some things that we're just, you know, at the tip of the iceberg learning about. So, you know, we know that increasing ananamide is going to make us feel better, but then if we're actually stimulating a cannabinoid receptors. They're somehow sending a signal to the estrogen receptors. And, you know, we're just starting to feel good and rebalance, you know, before we have to go through, through the whole cycle. That would be amazing. And cannabis can help with pain relief. It can help with spasms, which was why it's so good for cramps. Um, it can help with mood elevation. Just so many amazing things. So I think it's definitely a woman's best friend. And if you haven't tried CBD or cannabis in any form, whether it's topical tinctures, even uh, vaginal suppositories, please go for it. Kind of staying along those same lines of stress, the endocannabinoid system, how it's all interconnected, the helpfulness for hormones and mm-hmm. things of the like, follows along those same lines. Have have you personally? Because I can't test this, used it for that? Or have you heard of friends, family, people using cannabis during, um, (laughs) I guess we'll just use the real world. Typical male. God, just so confused. What do you call that thing when the (laughs) bad things happen with, you know, your lady parts? Well, I didn't want to say it that way. It's called period. And we all have them. Yeah. During your period. (laughs) Have you used it? Have your friends used it? Yeah. What's the what's the the self-induced experiment like there? Definitely. I'm very lucky. I don't get very bad cramps, but I definitely experience PMS. I personally do use cannabis to elevate my mood and things of that nature. My next-door neighbor, so I'm always buying products and I really wanted to try this cannabis suppository by Foria. Mm-hmm. Foria Wellness. They make like these coconut oil-based suppositories that you stick in your vagina when you're having cramps. I don't get cramps, so I couldn't test it, but my next-door neighbor came over with horrible cramps, and I like got so excited. You've never seen someone so excited about somebody <laughs> having cramps. I feel so bad for her. Like, she's like, I have cramps so bad. You're like, yes! <laughs> yeah, I was stoked. So I made her shove this up her vag, and she did say like it, it was sort of weird to ha- to sort of physically put that in and then like put a tampon in and have coconut oil sort of in your vagina mm. but she also said after 15 20 minutes it was like a magic cure wow like she could not, she no longer was experiencing spasms or cramps or any kind of pain anymore and it was amazing so there we go yeah, I, I think that... Our, our one very non-clinical study. Right, I mean... And <laughs> but hey, if, if it works, it works, right? Shit. Yeah, so I think that, be, like Michelle Ross said, you know, it's something that we can use that has little to no side effects. Mm-hmm. So if you're willing to stick some weed up your vagina, then you should, as opposed to taking something else that might have really bad side effects. So, yeah, absolutely. 
Exactly. So, yeah, great stuff. And going back to another thing Michelle Ross said, I got to like, use like her whole name, Michelle Ross. Like, um, <laughs> that Michelle said. Could just be like Dr. Ross. We can't shorten it. Doc Ross. <laughs> but ancient wisdom and how women have been using this forever. And yeah, we point. need to get back to that ancient wisdom and mm-hmm. use plant medicine to heal. Yeah, absolutely. Not just call your doctor, get the pharmaceutical. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're learning. We're learning more and more that the world gave us all the medicine we ever needed to get on through it. Yeah. And we're getting back to that. The pendulum is swinging. We're in the process. We'd like to thank you for the Mary Jane experience. We are pushing that pendulum as fast as we possibly can back to plant medicine. And we're doing our best. Yeah. So So another tricky women's issue is menopause. Mm -hmm. A lot of different symptoms for a lot of different women. And so I wanted to ask her about cannabis and menopause. For my work with women um, and many of the physicians that I've talked to, um, there really is no downside of using cannabis uh, for menopause, um, except potentially um, with um, some drug interactions with prescription drugs that are given for menopause. So um, some of the symptoms of menopause include hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia. Um, You have risk of osteoporosis once your estrogen levels go down and that's bone loss. You have unfortunately really annoying symptoms like vaginal dryness. Um, That's what happens when estrogen levels go down. So um, the nice part is that again, THC and uh, to a lesser effect, CBD by stimulating anandamide can help balance out the cannabinoid system and offset some of these things. We know that cannabinoids are really helpful for getting people to go to sleep and you can go to sleep and stay asleep, but that's half the battle with menopause and also even perimenopause. Like like we talk a lot about menopause, but there's even, um, you know, potentially a 10 year period where your cycles are sort of all whack. You feel fatigued, sleepy, irritable before you even actually enter menopause. And I think that women are helped both in perimenopause, menopause itself and the menopausal period. So hot flashes and night sweats, of course, um, are related to the estrogen loss. We're not quite sure how cannabis exactly helps with both of these things, but we also know that there's other receptors for THC and CBD besides CB1 and CB2 receptors. There's TRPV receptors, there's GPR55, like there's all these different receptors there, and some of them actually regulate body temperature, pain and inflammation in different ways. So we'll probably find a novel mechanism for how cannabis is specifically working for menopause, but we know anecdotally it works amazing. And then one thing I want to touch on is um, the osteoporosis risk. So we all hear about, you know, oh no, like you're worried when you get older about your bones thinning and breaking them. Um, And we know that a specific cannabinoid called THCV can actually rebuild bones. So I actually see a future where women are taking products with THCV and you can find it actually right now um, in strains like Durban Poison um, and, um, there's also um, a couple different ones, depending on where you live. They're not um, available throughout the United States, but they're now THCV-specific products um, that can help for the osteoporosis risk. Of course, we don't have any clinical research in humans yet that taking those uh, you know, THCV pill will help, but 
you know, we might um, know a little bit more in five or 10 years. Now, the hot topic, of course, of every menopausal woman is, oh my goodness, um, how do I have better sex? I have no sex drive. I'm dried up down there. It's, it's the worst. And it's sort of funny because menopause is a time where you should be like, I want to have more sex because there's no you know, worry about getting pregnant or any of that. But for vaginal dryness, definitely um, cannabis um, lubrications um, or topicals are great, um, whether it's THC, whether it's CBD. You're going to help with moisture and you're also going to maybe increase your libido, increase the intensity of your orgasm. So it's a win-win. So for any woman that's scared of uh, using cannabis for menopause, I'm like, step one, get a topical. Step two, if that feels good, then you'll go get a tincture or an edible or something. Um, and some women like to smoke, that's okay. But I always stress, um, you know, trying to stay away from smokables, especially if you are on estrogen replacement therapy or hormone replacement therapy, just because again, um, you know, um, uh, toxins like ammonia could be a little bit harmful when you're, you're you're taking these hormone replacement therapies. I find it interesting that through the process of this podcast, we continually learn more and more and more specific information about certain things. When we started, we're like, yeah, cannabinoids, they help you, and terpenes are fun. CBDV helps rebuild bones. THCV. THCV. Thank you. Apologize. Interesting. Very, Very interesting. interesting. So that helps with things like osteoporosis, which is a side effects, uh, a side effect of menopause. There's a whole host of things going on there that cannabis can help with. And again, low risk of a bad side effect. Exactly. So, so you know, from bone regrowth, which is insane. I'm excited to see more on that research, yeah. but you know, pain relief, sleeping, mood improvement, all things of that nature. Very great tool for menopause. And it's going to be different for every patient, of course, but it sounds like there's a lot of great solutions out there. Yeah. And Michelle is a huge advocate of tinctures, as we mm. keep hearing. And so I did want to just like dive in a little bit to the healthiest way to ingest because a lot of people are thinking, oh, well, I'm going to get all these benefits from smoking a joint, which yeah. you are getting a lot of benefits still potentially, but you're also getting ammonia and, you know, it's not good for your lungs. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things I remember early on in the legalization of marijuana. Somebody, a political figure said smoking weed is worse than cigarettes because it's unfiltered. He's not wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just a bad reason to keep it illegal. But it is funny because the more and more we talk about it, the more it comes up. Yeah. There's so many options out there. Smoking is still smoking. It's still bad for you. It's so fun to just smoke a joint with your friends. But if yeah. you're using this as a health and wellness tool, exactly. then smoking is not the best thing to do. And I liked some of the other reasoning behind using things like tincture that Michelle goes into. So I love um, to use personally and with uh, my clients, sublingual administration. So that's like taking a tincture, taking a couple drops of it or half a drop or whatever your dosing is under the tongue, waiting 30 seconds for it to be absorbed through your cheek and tongue, and then swallowing the rest. Um, what's really neat about 
that method is that you are actually absorbing it straight into your bloodstream. You're bypassing the liver, which is really um, key when you're trying to avoid drug interactions with any prescription drugs you're in. So it's literally not getting processed. It's just going straight to your brain, your body, wherever you need it. And the little bit that you're swallowing actually goes through your digestive tract and sort of processed then through the liver, but it's very similar to taking um, an edible. So you actually end up getting like sort of an instant, you know, pain relief or whatever symptom you're relief you're, you're looking for within 10 to 15 minutes by taking it under the tongue. But then you're also getting like a little booster bump right there um, in pain relief, you know, about 60 minutes later because it's being broken down through your digestive tract. So I think it's a very healthy way to use it because unlike smoking flour, or smoking concentrates, which may have, say, solvents or toxins or some things in there that aren't particularly good for you, you're not getting any of that. You're getting basically pure MCT oil, um, usually, although there's other oils that, say, THC or CBD tinctures can be in, but most of them are healthy oils, right? So MCT oils is a big thing if you've ever heard of the keto diet, but MCT is actually a coconut oil that is very, very healthy for your body. So by itself, even if it didn't have CBD or THC, it would be anti-inflammatory, uh, have a lot of health benefits. So then you're throwing in cannabis in there um, and cannabinoids like THC or CBD need fat to be more bioavailable in our body. And so it's really important that uh, that MCT oil is a fat. And so when our, we're using it, our body's actually absorbing all of the cannabinoids. It's not like we're just using them and they're, we're peeing them out sort of like a vitamin C tablet that, you know, isn't being absorbed by our body. So I think it's a healthy way to do it without the pesticides, you know, without solvents or things like that, without ammonia for potentially smoking something. Um, and it's just really easy for people to do and people to dose. You know, I don't think that everyone understands quite frankly how many milligrams they might be smoking in a joint or something, but it's very easy to go look on a dropper that has markings on it and say, I'm getting five milligrams of THC. And you can get a consistent dose. Um, you can track it with an app or a journal, but know exactly how much you're putting in your body and how that's making you feel. I think two things really interesting there is taking cannabis sublingually via tincture or a tablet can bypass the liver, which is important for multiple reasons, but especially if you're trying to avoid prescription drug interactions and things like that. And I definitely had no idea that taking cannabinoids with a fat helps them be more bioavailable. So you're actually absorbing more and, and getting better benefits by having them attached to a fat like MCT oil or coconut oil or yeah. some, something that you would have a tincture in. So. so my roommate in college was absolutely correct when he said that we had to cook our weed in butter <laughs> so that the THC could grasp onto the fat. That's the only way that it would work. Turns out he was right. I just thought he was a crazy stoner and I was like, yeah, sure, dude, like whatever. But I guess it makes sense because yeah. those cannabinoids are now more bioavailable when attached to a fat. Well, and I, so I had to ask her because of that, I really like these little sublinguals. They're called some microdose mm. tablets. Love the sums. Yeah. And they, they're really low dose and they dissolve right under your tongue, but they're like a kind of a chalky yeah. tablet. So I, I wanted, I just like asked her if that 
has the same benefits because that doesn't necessarily have a fat. So supplemental tablets are um, are definitely valuable, right? Um, if you think about the non-cannabis industry, right? Sublingual tablets are sort of how we consume B12 underneath the tongue. So they definitely work. Um, of course, you might not be getting the, the oils in there, right? So we're not getting the fat, um, but with a sublingual tablet, you're not really swallowing too much. Most of it is actually going through your cheek um, or your tongue. Um, but I do really, I really am partial to the tinctures because I think that there are other components in the full plant extract that uh, do help with bioavailability and also have some other health benefits. Um, I think that some of the tablets, um, you know, some of them have a lot of terpenes in them, some of them don't. Of course, it varies from brand to brand, um, but we just, you know, don't have as much experience, I think, with some of the sublingual strips and tablets as we do with the tinctures. Um, so, you know, of course, the research um, will help us show, um, you know, whether we're wrong or whether my theory that tinctures are a little bit better uh, than the sublingual tablets, um, but we'll just have to wait and see. So maybe my roommate in college wasn't 100% accurate along the lines of you have to have it on a fat, but anyway. It is what it is. So there's multiple different ways that we can get cannabis. And that's the point. Now you don't have to smoke it. You can use it as a supplement because there is a low chance of harming yourself by taking edibles and tinctures and sublingual sprays and all kinds of stuff, which is awesome. But you do have to make sure that you're getting a clean product, whether it be Absolutely. flour or a tincture. You need pesticide-free clean green which is the equivalent of organic and we talked about that a little bit as well you know the the number one reason why it's so important is especially with cbd oil or hemp oil so hemp is an amazing plant uh, you can actually when you okay so when you plant hemp, it actually pulls up different heavy metals from the soil as well as pesticides and things like that. So if you are consuming a tincture made of hemp that was grown outdoors and perhaps it was not grown on the cleanest land, um, you never know where your hemp farm is, right? So imagine it's, you know, you're, you're taking a tincture. It was made from hemp that was like somehow like almost near a toxic waste facility. It's got all this junk in it. You know, it's got like lead, it's got mercury in it. It's just like toxic gunk. That's not medicine you should be taking. There's some people that go, I took this CBD oil and I started throwing up or I felt sick or I felt nauseous. And you have to go through and say, okay, um, what was the brand? Was it tested for mold? Was it tested for pesticides? Was it tested for heavy metals? And many of the products on the market aren't tested because it's not required that they be tested. I just went to a testing lab in Los Angeles called CandaSafe, and it was very interesting to show, you know, how important it is to be able to test for all these things because some people may not be affected at all if there's a little bit of lead, like something in there, but then there's other patients that are very, very ill and can't tolerate anything, right? If you have an autoimmune disorder, if you have epilepsy, if you have cancer, you should not be consuming more toxins. Um, and it's very important that you choose tested. Um, so it's very important that you use uh, products that have been lab tested and tested for more than one thing. Don't just be like, cool, they tested for lead. That's all I need. Like, make sure that they have full panels. Based on that, I wonder if sometimes when we've tested vape pens or edibles and we've had 
some slightly negative side effects in the form of, typically for me, it happens in the form of I'll get a headache in the middle of my high. And I wonder if that has to do with the cleanliness of the cannabis that was used in that product. Because there is no certification or organic anything like clean green is a thing, but there's no way to know currently. Really? Well, that's not true. Oh, so, there is? Oh, well, wow. you can definitely be clean green certified as right, growers, yeah. and that is basically the equivalent of organic hemp. Ooh. And then once your product is ready to go to market, you take it to a testing facility, and they can test for loads of different things. Every state has a different requirement, and every company tests for things that they want to test for. Got it, yeah. Um, you know, people like 1906 was just saying they go above and beyond the testing process and, and test for all sorts of things. Mm. You know, Skippy from Markaha was telling us, like, he this is a medicine. He needs to know that there's not a single pesticide, that there's no mold, that there's no issues. So you can do your research, and a lot of times cannabis companies will put their testing results on their websites and things of that nature. Oh, that's and good so to know. that's Got where it. you can find out what you're getting. And if they're shady about it, or if they won't tell you about their results, then mm -hmm. maybe, you know, that's not the company to go with. Yep, exactly. Like when we randomly were approached by a quote-unquote CBD company in, down in South by Southwest, actually. Like, oh, tell us about your product. Like, how do you how do you extract? What's what's in it? And the guy's like, well, they're, it's just CBD gummies. We're like, are they energizing? What are they for? He's like, they're CBD gummies. Like, cool. So we probably me. don't want to know what's in those. Mm -hmm. We're just going to leave that right there. Yeah. And unfortunately, so. not only is there just a lack of education on you need to look at testing results, but people in non-legal states are, they don't know what they're getting. You yeah. can't ask your drug dealer in the back alley, like, well, is this organic? He's like, I have this weed. Do you want to buy it or not? I'm imagining a like, Saturday Night Live skit. And you guys can totally steal this because I will 100% claim it as my idea. But a skit about people going to buy weed in New York now and being like, oh, is it a clean green growing? And drug dealer being like, I don't fucking know. Just buy it. Right. That'd <laughs> like, be a great little skit. There's a full-on skit in there somewhere. <laughs> um, anyway... Moving on, um, what do you guys talk about next? Sounds like we've touched on this a little bit, uh, drug interactions with cannabis. This is another Reddit question that you had. Exactly. What was it exactly? Cannabis interactions with other drugs that people should be aware of. Yeah, so um, so it's interesting. So THC, CBD, we don't even know about the other minor cannabinoids yet, what they do. Um, but each of them has a different interactions with liver enzymes that break down medications. And CBD I'll talk about most just because that one actually has the potential for, I think, um, the worst side effects. So CBD will inhibit um, these P450 liver enzymes that break down medications. So if you've ever seen a label on your medication that says do not take with grapefruit, CBD does something very similar to how grapefruit works. And for most medications, what it will do, if it is a medication that's broken down by these specific subtypes uh, that CBD 
has this interaction with, what will happen is you will have higher blood levels of this drug. For example, if you were taking an epilepsy drug and CBD, and then CBD inhibited the breakdown of this drug, you would have way too high levels of this epilepsy drug. You might feel horrible, you might feel sick. And in fact, there has been research showing that there's specific uh, types of epilepsy drugs that CBD um, should not be taken with. And that's very important because a lot of people think everyone with epilepsy should take CBD. And there's gonna be no patient that's gonna titrate off of all, all of their epilepsy drugs before starting CBD. So it's just something to know about and say, okay, if I'm on this drug, I should not take CBD. Maybe I should take a different cannabinoid or maybe I should consume CBD in a way that it's not getting processed by my liver. Now, earlier in our podcast, I talked a little bit about how sublingual administration of CBD or THC sort of bypasses the liver. So you're gonna also bypass those potential uh, cannabis interactions. So if you are on a medication that might be prone to a drug interaction, you either wanna lower your dose or you wanna consume a method like sublingual administration versus an edible where it is definitely going to be processed by a liver and you're definitely going to have a drug interaction. So that's why it's important talking to a clinician because the average consumer is not like, well, I'm on a blood thinner. I heard blood thinners and CBD don't mix. I don't know what to do. Um, or they might misread something and be like, oh, the gummy is safe, but the vape isn't. And you're like, actually, the vape was safe. The gummy wasn't. Um, and they can end up you know, with these dangerous drug interactions. A lot of people are on drugs that can interact with CBD. Of course, the higher dose of CBD you use, the more likely you are to have a drug interaction. Most people are in the wellness dose range. So I would say if you're taking about five to 10 milligrams of CBD per day, um, it's not gonna be as likely to cause a really big interaction with your drug as compared to a cancer patient or say an epilepsy patient or somebody with schizophrenia that might be taking you know, 100 milligrams or more of CBD a day. If you are taking, you know, not wellness doses of CBD, I suggest that, or you're thinking about it, I really do suggest that you talk to a clinician that is experienced, and it might not be your actual normal doctor, because most of the doctors have had zero education of this, and when they're not educated, really the response to you is just don't do it, right? Um, or find somebody that knows, um, but they don't know who knows, right? So it's really um, up to the consumer to be smart about this. If you're on any type of blood thinner, if you're on a mental health medication, um, you're on some kind of other drug that could be very serious if you have a slight variation in dose, you know, just uh, check in and see whether it's safe to take it. You know, uh, I think that once cannabis is legal, it'll be a little bit easier for doctors. So right now, if you're a pharmacist or a doctor and you're looking for a drug interaction, like you literally don't have to do any research. You're like, okay, uh, put this one in plus this one in and like the little algorithm will tell you, you're like, don't do it or like adjust your dose. Right now, because THC is considered a substance of abuse, it's not in these algorithms. And we haven't been able to legally research some of the drug interactions, so we don't know. Like, for example, there may be even interactions with THC and CBD and birth control, um, and we don't really know these things. That was actually a research study I was trying to propose with UCLA, looking at um, the potential um, uh, drug interactions because CBD could actually inhibit the breakdown of estrogen. And, you know, we're all on birth control pills if, if you're a woman or some kind of hormonal birth control. So it's really important to make sure if like everyone is dosing themselves with CBD, is this safe? Um, it's all about the dose, you know, the amount you're dosing with. But the fact is, is we just don't know enough. And it's really scary. Doctors really don't want to get sued for malpractice. So they are going to be more conservative 
um, and really wait till the research is done. Now, there is one tool which is pretty amazing, but a little pricey because, again, it's not covered um, by most health insurances, but there is actually a panel that will look at uh, your genetic background um, and look at how your body breaks down different drugs and then look at the potential for what medications you're on um, and either THC, CBD, or some of these other cannabinoids interact. So it's, it's actually a, a test made by Navigator Genomics. It costs about $300. But for people that are on multiple medications and need that peace of mind, it's very helpful. Did we just blow the roof off the CBD industry? <laughs> I'm not well, very good at side of sound effects. That's, that's your explosion noise, and I loved it. Um, <laughs> no, she makes a really good point there, and it's funny because epilepsy is a big one. Um, in the UK specifically, there is a certain type of epilepsy that if you have, you can get medical cannabis for. Um, it's a buzzword in the industry, I think, because there are proven instances of cannabis helping epilepsy. However, if you're on a certain epileptic drug and you're dosing yourself with CBD on the side, that could be a bad thing. So interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. And also I love learning about cannabis and estrogen levels and, you know, women such a huge percentage of women are on birth control and also smoking weed or taking CBD supplements. And if we don't get some better research about how these things really interact, or if you are on prescription drugs and, and you need to know, you have to talk to someone really like Dr. Michelle Ross, where you can get the right information for what drugs you're taking. Yeah, absolutely. The more you know. The you more keep you saying know. it. That's why we're here. Yeah. So another Reddit question that we got was about arthritis pain relief, which is something I wouldn't have thought to ask because I've never had arthritis. But she had some insight on that as well. Yeah. So arthritis is actually very responsive to cannabinoids. Thank goodness. Um, topical use. So topical CBD, topical THC, or even THCA um, is really effective at reducing inflammation and pain in the joints, um, hand, wrist, arm, or wherever, wherever you experience arthritis. Now, ideally, you would want to use a topical and an ingestible form of arthritis to be able to reduce that inflammation and keep that low. The less inflammation you have, the less pain you have, and the more mobility you're going to have. So one one cannabinoid in particular that's amazing for arthritis, and part of that is because it's not as psychoactive as THC, is THCA. Again, when I was talking about that raw cannabinoid that's actually found in the plant, you actually have to heat up THCA to turn it into THC. So there are THCA tablets or THC tinctures right now that you can take, and it won't make you high like THC because it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, but it will work peripherally through the body to help reduce inflammation and reduce pain. So, you know, if you have, uh, you know, your grandma's like, but I don't want to get high, but they want to help their arthritis, that, that's great. However, I do know lots of grandmas that actually really enjoy getting high. Um, you know, you, they don't have to go to work or anything. So, they're able to uh, relax a little bit more, get out of pain. So there are some um, uh, people with arthritis that do actually like to smoke cannabis uh, for pain relief. 
So, you know, there are a lot of options when it comes down to arthritis. THC works for some, THCA works for some. There are some patients that are, you know, experience full relief with just CBD, but a lot of patients seem to need a little bit of CBD, a little bit of THC. And for some, the, the real severe cases, you know, adding THC in there daily seems to be really powerful uh, pain and inflammation relief. I don't have arthritis, but I definitely do use topicals all the time. It is my personal favorite thing that has come out of the, the legal cannabis industry here in Colorado because I continue to refuse that I am getting older. I continue to do all the extreme sports that I did when I was young, bouncing off the ground. I love that these things exist because they do, they help me. As a, as a young male, I'm only 32 and I noticed the difference. So I can't imagine for somebody that has chronic joint pain in their fingers, elbows, things like that. The THC salves are just awesome. So, yeah. Well, and you know, I, I think I'm no <laughs> Scientologist. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm no doctor. Easy Tom Cruise. But I, I think that one of the biggest issues with arthritis is inflammation. Yeah. And we all know that a lot of different cannabinoids can reduce inflammation. One that she kept bringing up is THCA for that. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. And Good to know. hopefully that can help somebody suffering. If you're suffering from arthritis or, or really any inflammatory pain caused by anything like myself, if you're an idiot and you like to fall on your bike, THCA solves. Yeah. They can help. So I had to ask because someone on Reddit asked and... I was like, well, yeah, fuck it. Let's clear this one up. Cannabis and psychosis. What is the link there? You know, haters going to hate and say that cannabis gives you psychosis. Is that a real thing? And where did it come from, et cetera? It's important to note that no drug, including cannabis, is right for everyone. There are some people, especially those that are um, may have an underlying mental health disorder, whether it's been diagnosed or not. For example, if you have bipolar disorder and you use THC, um, you may be more prone to a psychotic episode. If you have, say, the genetics for schizophrenia and you consume cannabis, you might actually um, increase the onset of it, which means that you might um, have your first schizophrenic episode maybe a year earlier than you might have um, if you had never used cannabis before. So there is definitely a link between cannabis and psychosis. Now, the average person smoking a joint will not have a psychotic episode. Again, there seems to be some kind of background or some kind of brain chemistry imbalance. However, everything is about dosage. If you consume enough cannabis, you may actually um, shut down uh, an area of the brain called the default mode network, um, and you may actually, you know, confuse, you know, yourself. You may not know where you are, where, you know, what your relationship with others are. You may be confused. It's really important to take cannabis um, in a area that you are comfortable with. If you are in public um, for the first time, or you're with people you don't know or trust, um, you might be more paranoid. You might be anxious. If you're the type of person that no matter how many times you smoke cannabis, you still feel paranoid and anxious. Maybe one, this isn't your drug. And maybe two, note that maybe there is something underlying, you know, like maybe you have a serotonin imbalance or something else that could make you more prone to psychosis. Maybe um, you need to lean on CBD products instead of THC. And I think that's so important to know your body, know your mental state. Don't keep pushing it. Don't be like, well, I feel weird. 
uh, smoking this joint. So the next time I'm going to dab five dabs of THC and wonder what happens, you might not have a very good time. Something, you know, not great might happen. You might feel out of it, hopefully not have an episode of psychosis, but please know, you know, how you feel with cannabis is, is so important. And I think that, you know, when we see media talk about, oh my goodness, somebody smoked one joint and they jumped off a balcony and they had like a psychotic break, that's not normal. And really cannabis doesn't tend to do that in people that are healthy. But, you know, it's up to you to know whether or not um, you are in the right state of mind and health to use cannabis. It's just an interesting thing because we just heard from neuroscientist. sounds like a lot of that has to do with preconditioning. Pre-existing conditions, conditions. set and setting, things like that. I mean, you just have to be, know who you are and know what you need and know what, I mean, if cannabis was legal, then kids, obviously aren't, kids aren't going to be smoking, but like Mm -hmm. you can choose better the strain and the terpene profile that you want to be mm-hmm. a little more uplifting if you're feeling sad. Just so we know, just to make a note, we are not in any way, shape, or form advocating underage use of cannabis. Kids just wait till you're 21. However, if you're going to choose between drinking and smoking, I would recommend smoking just because the potential for a harmful side effect is less. However, it's interesting because this is going to be a long-run debate that we're not going to solve here on this show today, and that's for damn sure, because a lot of... Things in this study are odd to me, like studies performed since 1993. Clinical studies of cannabis have been very hard to perform in this country up until recently, and even now they're still hard to perform. So how accurate is this data? We need more accurate data moving forward. It sounds like we're trying to get there, so that's good. I think we're heading in the right direction, but kids, stay in school, don't do drugs. Anyway. <laughs> It's funny because there's so much conflicting information out there, which is why, and I'm sure that's why we got this question from Reddit, um, because there are things out there all the time that, you know, point in one direction and something points in the other direction, but we'll get there. We'll have newer, better, more accurate information as we go along here on the Mary Jane Experience. And that brings up our favorite question, or my favorite question. I don't know if you like this question. Do you like this question? I love this question. I wouldn't ask it every time if I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) She said enthusiastically. (laughs) The one, five, and ten-year industry predictions. Oh, goodness. Um, One-year industry prediction. Well, I wish I was predicting that uh, cannabis was legal. Um, Well, it will be 2020. Who knows? I've heard rumblings that something is going to change in 2020. So I think um, cannabis legalization, whether that's one to Two years from now, we're not sure. Um, we'll definitely, um, you know, change. I think the amount of investors that are investing in these companies. I still think that there's a lot of stigma and fear um, around cannabis being illegal. Um, that is blocking some, maybe even international investors from participating in this market. They're all going to Canada where it's legal, or other countries where it's legal. But I think that um, very soon we are going to have federal cannabis legalization or decriminalization of some form and that is going to change our banking that's going to change our investments um, and it's going to change how we do business a little uh five-year industry prediction um 
I think that in five years, we're actually going to have a lot of the research published that uh, people are all now starting. Um, so from everything from cannabis and pregnancy research to learning about what these minor cannabinoids like THCV do, um, I think that we're also going to be farther along with the science of how to produce these cannabinoids in, say, yeast or bacteria. And we're going to have um, a lot more of these cannabinoids at a lower price. So I think that it's not going to be rare to see a THCV product or a CBN or a CBC. In fact, we're going to see lots of them on the market and we're going to start to have some of the data on how they work. In 10 years, um, wow, this is, this is really interesting. So this will be post-federal legalization. Um, this will be time for all the policies at hospitals and universities, like all over the place, will have adapted to this new legal system. So I think our cannabis industry will be thriving. I think that coupled with the research, um, we'll be able to more, much more powerfully say, okay, cannabis is very good for fibromyalgia. We know how to dose it. We know what products you need for it. I think coupled with, say, apps and AI, artificial intelligence, I think that um, there'll be a lot less guesswork. And I think that it'll be very similar to some of these other medications where you know, we might be able to say, here's your genetics, here's what your medical history was, this is exact, you know, cannabinoid products you need with a dose, and there may even be custom products made, because we're going to have these single cannabinoids that can be almost like 3D printed, like, oh, you need this tincture that's exactly this many milligrams of this, this many milligrams of this, and, you know, um, I think that cannabinoid medicine is literally going to change the face of healthcare. I know we ask this question all the time. But it's cool now that we're on the episode. This will be 23, right? Yeah. Roughly. Um, it's interesting the spectrum that we get in the answers to these questions, but it's very typically specific to their um, particular either a industry, profession, specialty, etc. You know, talking to a scientist and hearing what they have to say. It's kind of interesting thinking about changes to hospitals and medical practices and how that's going to incorporate cannabis mm -hmm. moving forward as legalization and destigmatization happens, but also the research and the studies. Because there are studies out there that have very good clinical data that say, you know, there is a risk here. And then there's other studies that say there is a risk, but if you do it this way, it alleviates the risk. So it, it, it will be interesting to see that side yeah i mean being able to look at your genetics and your health history and all of that to mm. get a specific diagnosis and a cannabis cure and learning more about all those minor cannabinoids and how they work together potentially isolating some of those cannabinoids into like well you specifically just need thcv for bone growth mm. it's in 10 years time from now I really hope that it does look more like that. Absolutely. I really do. There's another idea, and I guarantee this is going to happen. I don't have the capital, wherewithal, or knowledge to make this happen. But I was just looking, because um, Ease has online delivery of cannabis mm -hmm. in, in legal states. Only I think actually only in California, Colorado. Um, <clears throat> how long? I think within five years, we will see a company pop up like the vitamin company that we use, no free ads, um, where you can go through, fill out a little questionnaire. This is my lifestyle. This is my age. This is my weight. This is, you know, things that I have, things that I'm trying to treat, et cetera, et cetera. And once a month, you will get a customized pack 
of mm-hmm. cannabis supplements using minor cannabinoids that will be discovered over time to help you personally. Yeah, or it won't be specifically a cannabis company doing that anymore. It'll be, yeah. you know, I get my vitamins from a company called Care, Care of. of. So it's like Care Dash of. And Only free ads here at the Mary Jane Experience. I know. Care of, I, give us a shout. We need we, we need to keep the lights right? on. Right? Anyway. But I could see a company like that starting to incorporate cannabinoids yeah. into cannabinoid supplements into their regular vitamin tax because it's exactly. all illegal and mm-hmm. it's not stuff that gets you high. Just balance your cannabinoid, endocannabinoid system. So yeah. that would be interesting. And, and it will be cool when we move past the whole indica sativa thing. Mm-hmm. And, and we do move to cannabinoid and terpene profiles and things alike. Yeah, so... It's an exciting time to be alive, ladies and gentlemen. That's yeah, all i got to say long, about that. Long episode, so we won't keep you too much longer. But this, this is all one. great information. I think I learned... Well, I, I learned something every single time we talk to people, but like the Fabrizio episode and this episode, I learned a lot. Yeah. Like this is up in the cannabis IQ, as we call it. Power packed, bitches. So you are welcome, everyone. Mostly the stoners out there, the OGs who kept it going in through the 70s, 80s, and 90s to get to where we are at today. Thank we you appreciate you. Thank you for sharing your questions on yeah. Reddit. We do have our own subreddit. It's r-the-mary-jane-experience. We ask questions like this. We ask for your input, ideas. And we really love when we get community engagement because it makes the podcast better. Absolutely. If you have a question that you'd like to ask, go to Reddit. Hit us up if you don't have Reddit. Hit us up on Instagram. If you don't have Instagram, hit us up on Twitter. If you don't have Twitter, hit us up on Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, stop living under a goddamn rock. Or just email us. Or just email us. That's fine too. Info at MaryJaneExperience.com. It's on the website. Yep. And we have a contact page on MaryJaneExperience.com backslash contact. If you can't figure out how to get in touch with us, then... My phone number is (laughs) 720-900-4392. Call me. If you we'll need chat. me, call me. Anyway, no matter where I am. Thank you to Dr. Michelle Ross for all of that wonderful information. Keep up the good work. We will be having another follow up with her for sure. That's all I got. College boy. Well, good night, stoners. Bye.